This week's episode contains themes of homophobia, transphobia, and violence. If that isn't your cup of tea, that's fine, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Spilling Tea, the podcast where two friends sip tea and spill literature's dark histories. I'm Jane. And I'm Mackenzie. And just an FYI, I got sick today, so <laughs> I'm I'm going to sound kind of like trash. Just a tad bit of trash. Only a wee bit trash. Only a wee bit of trash. Um, also, don't, don't at me for uh, misreading some things. I'm very, very tired. Yep. All right. Oh, God, our book. Okay, yeah. The book we're covering (laughs) this week. Uh, This is actually just a podcast now where Jane and I talk about how our feelings. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a weekly therapy session for us. It's fine. Uh, We don't have copays. We don't have, like, insurance. We just chat to each other and pretend like we're good advice givers. So our book this week, we are covering a – Fantastic little YA novel. Oh, I'm going to cry thinking about it. <laughs> I know. Uh, really emotional. It's probably one of our favorites. It, it's in my top three favorite books for yeah. sure. So this week we are covering Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. And I'm going to let you say the author's name. That's so much pressure. His so, name is Benjamin Allier Sands, and he's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. When did, when did you first read this book? I, so... My family used to go on a camping trip every summer, and we'd camp, you know, in the woods. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no nothing. I would bring books. I would bring a book for at least one book a day for the trip, and all I would do is read. And I think it was summer of about 2015 mm. that I – this was one of the books that I had had kind of sitting around, and I bought it at some point and hadn't gotten to it. And I bought it, and I read it in a day while I was camping. And oh, it was wow. like, whew. Yeah. What about your story? Because I was there when you first read this. So, I, uh, Mackenzie actually recommended this book um, to me. It was not, it, I, I think it was like last year. It was so, last fall. Yeah, so fall of 2017. 17? Oh, wow. Fall of 2017. My goodness, time flies. Um, I was just sort of looking for different books. I was trying to read more. Mackenzie recommended this one, basically forced me to read it. I was like, ah, uh, like. I don't want to. I read it within... Like, eight hours. Eight hours. Like, one you, night. I read it in eight hours. You read it, part of it. We went and saw a show on campus. And then I finished it. And you came it. back and read it, and then cried on the floor about it. Yeah, a very, very emotional on the floor. Literally a puddle of tears. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a good, wholesome night. A good, wholesome night. So, um... What what do we have for a uh, tea pairing this week for yeah. this emotional novel? So Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. One of the main themes that both Aristotle and Dante struggle with is Mexican identity and the importance of Mexican culture in their lives. Ooh. So I okay, was yeah. looking up, you know, Mexican teas. And of course, as we've previously discussed, coffee is much more popular in Mexico. Yeah, there are mentions throughout And they the mention age. coffee, but like, so considering we record in the evening. Um, yeah, it's like <laughs> 6.30. I'm not drinking a and cup also, of coffee. And also, it's called spilling tea, not spilling beans. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be a really good, like, side podcast. Okay, let's not get distracted. All so, right. tea. So, I was trying to find it, and one of the most popular teas in Mexico, I'm, forgive me for my pronunciation, it is um, Agua de Jamaica, and it is like a hibiscus tea, and it's one of several common agua frescas, which are inexpensive beverages typically made from fresh juice or extracts. And these okay. are, you'll find these like all over the place in Mexico. They're very popular street beverages, they're very popular in restaurants. So this one in particular, Agua de Jamaica, it's hibiscus. Okay. So, and it's actually an iced beverage, so we have iced tea this week. So, no. So, we won't get any tea pair. You can get the ice cubes clinking, though. Hopefully they show up. I can hear that at all. Um, so, cheers. Cheers. That, wait, wait, hold on. Let's, move your hand. Move your fingers. <laughs> Try again. There, there we with go. Our fake glasses. Ooh. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this. I did add sugar to this because the drink is made with hibiscus and then sugar. Okay. So it is sweetened, so that might have something to do with it. 
I don't think I'm big on hibiscus mm. in general. So I think I made it a little strong. Yeah, I think that's it's real strong. It's pretty some, strong. It's pretty um bitey. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's a snapping turtle on my tongue a little <laughs> bit. I mean, I'm I'm gonna drink it because healing properties of tea, my dude. Does it count if it's herbal tea? Sure. Anything to fix me. All right. So that is our tea this week. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad. The more I drink it, the better it's getting. It's just yeah. the initial like. It's very bitter. It's very, yeah. I even added, like, three spoonfuls of sugar to our little pot of tea, and it's still very bitter. Probably just brewed it too. I think I probably brewed it too strong. I left it be for a while. It's okay. Mm. But it's still it's still pretty good. I, I like how you found a Mexican yeah. tea. Great quality content. Not as much of a stretch as it's been in the past few weeks. No, no. Definitely <laughs> good, good quality content. So are we moving to our plot summary? We are moving to our plot summary. Fantastic. And before I get into the plot summary, I do want to make a note. So the way that the book is structured. Oh, it's so interesting. It's so good. So there's six sections and each is preceded by an epigraph taken either from the respective section or from another author. So I, before I go into each section, I will read the title of the section and the epigraph that comes with it, and I will note whether it is a line from the book or something taken from an outside author. All right. So the first section is called The Different Rules of Summer, and the epigraph with that is, The problem with my life is that it was someone else's idea. And that's a line from the book. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. All right, so the book begins with 15-year-old Aristotle Mendez, who goes by Ari, and he has no plans for the summer of 1987. Mm. He's bored, miserable, and friendless. And he lives with his mom and his father because his two older sisters have grown up and moved away, and his older brother is in prison. But everyone in Ari's family refuses to talk about his brother and essentially behaves as if he were dead. Aww. Yeah, they've yeah. all got some, some family drama. I mean, who doesn't have some family drama? Honestly. Drama. And also, to add to that, um, Ari's father served in the Vietnam War, but refuses to talk about his experiences in battle. I mean, makes sense to me. Yep. So Ari goes swimming to escape the suffocating silence of his house, even though he doesn't know how to swim. Oh. <laughs> That's such a sad little bean. But wait, but wait. I know, I know. I've read You've it like read it I read it so this week. It's so good. At the pool, a boy named Dante Quintana offers to teach Aristotle how to swim. And they bond over their classical names and eventually become inseparable. Ari is fascinated by Dante's swimming ability as well as his sincerity. And Dante teaches Ari about literature and poetry. And Dante hates to wear shoes, which is, like, kind of important what in this book, good actually. Lad. And know. he also struggles with his Mexican identity. And Aristotle is astounded by the affection displayed by Dante's family because he feels so distanced from his own parents. And he, Aristotle goes with Dante and his parents into the desert so that they can look at the stars one night. And Dante kind of tells them, someday I'm going to discover all the secrets of the universe. Yeah. And it's like, oh, these 15-year-olds are so damn poetic. <laughs> nah. And one afternoon, the um, two boys see some children shooting birds with a BB gun, and the t they confront the boys, take away the gun, and bury the sparrow that the kids shot. What? What? They're like people. such... Oh my gosh. I love them so much. Yeah. So the next section is called Sparrows Falling from the Sky, and the epigraph is, when I was a boy, I used to wake up thinking that the world was ending. And that's a line from this section of the book. Oh my goodness. So the morning after they bury the sparrow, um, Ari wakes up with a terrible case of the flu. He has fever dreams where he's in the rain and searching for Dante and his own father. And he also have, has dreams where his imprisoned brother, Bernardo, is across a large river while Ari calls for him to return. And Ari's father and mother nurse him back to health, but his bad dreams persist. So Dante um, comes over to visit Ari while he's recovering over the next few days, and he sketches him at one point, but he refuses to show Ari his sketchbook, instead leaving him a lifelike drawing of a chair as a gift. Interesting. Interesting. And when Ari feels better, Dante tells him that he and his family are moving to Chicago for the next school term because his father was offered a new job. And the same day that Dante announces his move, the two boys see a bird lying injured in the road. And when Dante goes into the road to check on the bird, a car speeds around the corner. 
Ari dives into the street, pushing Dante out of the way, and he is hit by the car. While Dante leaves almost unscathed, Ari is hurt very badly. Poor boy. <sighs> this book's really emotional for us both, man. Yeah. So the next section is called The End of Summer, and the epigraph with that is, Do you remember the summer of the rain? You must let everything fall that wants to fall. And that is a quote from Karen Fisser. So both of Ari's legs and his left arm are in casts, and Dante has suffered only minor injuries but is overcome by guilt. Ari makes his friends swear not to talk about the accident, thank him, or cry. Ooh. Which is a lot to request yeah. of a teenage boy. And Ari is angry when Dante cries because he believes that he is the one who should be crying. Following the accident, the Quintanas and the Mendozas grow closer. Both of the boys' mothers talk more frequently and share ideas about their sons. Dante's mother sends him to a therapist to talk about the incident. And Dante visits Ari in the hospital and brings two novels. He brings War and Peace and The Grapes of Wrath. And he also gives Ari his sketchbook, the first time he has shown anyone the book. Ari is sickened by the gesture because he believes Dante gives him the book because he feels as if he owes Ari for saving his life. He throws the book against the hospital wall and refuses to look at it. After the incident, Ari's mother suggests that he also see a counselor. Ari lashes out and insists that he will see a therapist when she starts talking about his brother. Oh. Oof. Them is fighting words. Ari's father <laughs> also visits him in the hospital every evening. Ari reads The Grapes of Wrath and his father reads War and Peace. When Ari is allowed to come home, he and his father continue to read together. Ari believes their silent reading is their own way of talking. Which is, like, really sweet. Oh yeah, that is. This Especially, it's it's hard for fathers and, their, and their boys. Yeah, because the relationship that they have. Oh. So, three weeks after the incident, Ari's father offers to buy him a car for his upcoming birthday. Oh, snap. And he asks for an old pickup truck. <laughs> what a choice. What a choice. Gradually, Ari heals and is able to bathe himself and write again. The improvements make him happier, but he still feels suffocated in his own home, and he dreads the start of the school year without da with Dante's absence. And before, oh, before Dante leaves for Chicago, he reveals the two things he loves most in the world are swimming and Ari. Ah! Uh -huh. Sorry. Jane was, like, crying over this bit last yeah. night. Oh, goodness. It's so beautiful. However, Ari says that he shouldn't tell him those things, even if they are true. The two boys promise each other that they will still be friends when Dante returns in the summer. So the next section is called Letters on a Page, and the epigraph is... There are some words I'll never learn to spell, and that is from this section of the book. So, when school starts again, Ari is reluctant to tell his schoolmates about the accident, and two girls from his class, Gina and Susie, hound him for answers. Meanwhile, Ari's father gives him a 1957 Chevy pickup truck. He decides that when his casts come off, the first place he will drive to is the desert where he can look at the stars. Ari also becomes infatuated with Ileana, a girl from his school. He becomes intent on kissing her. Dante sends Ari several letters. In them, he speaks about how he goes to parties, tries marijuana, drinks alcohol, and kisses girls. Wow, so rowdy. So rowdy. For a teenage boy. <laughs> he also talks about visiting the Art Institute of Chicago, where he sees one of his favorite paintings, Nighthawks, by Edward Hopper. In his later letters, Dante confesses that he'd rather be kissing boys than girls. The day Ari gets his casts off, he takes a walk by Dante's house. He finds a stray dog, whom he takes in and names Legs. Oh, I love Legs. Ari's life without Dante revolves around learning to drive, lifting weights, running with Legs, trying to find information about his brother at the library, arguing with Gina and Susie, trying to run into Ileana at school, reading Dante's letters, having bad dreams, and working a part-time job at a burger joint called The Charcoaler. He writes this list down in his journal. Over Christmas break, Ari finds an envelope in his house marked Bernardo. Ari knows that the envelope contains everything he wants to know about his brother, but he is afraid to open it. On New Year's Eve, Susie and Gina invite Ari to a party where Ileana gives him his first kiss. In the weeks after, though, Ileana tells Ari that she doesn't want to go out with him because she already has a boyfriend who is in a gang. Boo. The next Monday, Ari finds out that Ileana dropped out of school because she got married after getting pregnant. In his next letter... Dante reveals that he is scared that his parents will be disappointed in him if they find out he wants to kiss boys. On the last day of school, Ari asks Gina and Susie to drive him out to the desert so that he can get drunk. And the next section is called Remember the Rain, 
and the epigraph is Turning the Pages Patiently in Search of Meetings, W.S. Merwin. So in Remember the Rain, it starts with the summer beginning again and Ari beginning to work full-time at the Charcoaler. And Dante returns from Chicago, and the two boys take Ari's truck into the desert. Dante reveals that his mother is pregnant, and he hopes that the new baby will be a boy so that he can marry a woman and have children. When Ari has no problem with Dante's sexuality and will stand by him, he makes it clear he does not want Dante trying to kiss him either. <sighs> Boys! <laughs> Got so many thoughts about this book! Oh my goodness. I wish I felt better. I would oh my be God. so lively right now. <laughs> One night, Dante convinces Ari to kiss him, saying it is an experiment and he has never kissed another boy and wants to know if he feels anything from kissing Ari. Breaking the rules, Dante. Dante, you badass. No. <laughs> not a badass. Bad human. No. Bad boy. Mm. Well, reluctant. Well, okay, no, I still love him, but just I like... I I love him too. Hey, don't force your friends to kiss each other. Like, kiss... You know... <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> well, reluctant, Ari agrees, and Dante kisses him, with Ari briefly kissing him back. Afterwards, Ari claims to have felt nothing, while Dante is upset as he felt something with the kiss, seeming to confirm Dante has feelings for Ari. Following this event, it becomes increasingly clear that Dante is in love with Ari, who appears not to reciprocate Dante's feelings for him. Oh, poor boy. Whew. Ari's mother goes to Tucson to visit his Aunt Ophelia, leaving Ari and his father alone for a few days. Gina and Susie stop by the drugstore where Dante works, where he tells them about how Ari saved his life. Ari is furious that Dante broke their rule of not speaking about the accident. Dante brings along two joints the next time he and Ari drive up to the desert, and the two of them get high. Dante tells Ari that he likes a boy with whom he works named Daniel. It starts raining while they are in the truck. Both boys take off their clothes and run naked in the rain. Which, it doesn't display it well in the summary, but that's one of the most beautiful scenes in, like, the whole book. Like, oh my god. The next morning, Ari's father announces that Aunt Ophelia has had a fatal stroke. Mm. The two of them drive to Tucson. Ari remembers staying with his aunt for several months when he was younger. He asks his father why he was left to live with his aunt, and his father tells him that during Bernardo's trial, Ari's mother had a mental breakdown. Ari had to be sent away so that his Aunt Ophelia could take care of him. At the funeral, Ari realizes that none of his extended family is there. He is told that they disapproved of Aunt Ophelia's lifestyle, as she had lived with another woman for many years. Ari's own parents are angry that she was estranged from the rest of the family because of her sexuality. After the funeral, Ari's mother offers to finally tell him about Bernardo. Mm -hmm. And the last section of the book is called All the Secrets of the Universe, and the epigraph is, Through all of youth, I was looking for you without knowing what I was looking for. Again, by W.S. Merwin. So... Ari's mother explains that Bernardo was arrested for murder. When he was 15 years old, he hired a prostitute off the street, and the prostitute was a trans woman, which infuriated Bernardo, and he killed her with his bare fists, and he is in prison for life. When Ari returns home, Mr. Quintana tells him that Dante is in the hospital. He was jumped by several young men who had seen him kissing Daniel in an alley. Ari goes to Dante's work and confronts Daniel, finding out the names of the two men who attacked Dante. Ari visits one of them, Julian, at the body shop where he works and starts a fight with him. Ari nearly ends up in trouble for what happened, but his father stands by him when he explains, and Ari avoids having to pay Julian's hospital bills. His mother, who was afraid of Ari ending up like his brother, seems to give him an understanding of something that Ari misses after he explains how he beat up Julian because of his anger towards him for attacking Dante over kissing another boy. After the attack, Mr. Quintana asks if Ari knows why Dante was jumped. Ari tells him that Dante is gay and was kissing another boy. He also explains that Dante hadn't told his parents out of fear of their reaction, but Mr. Quintana is supportive of his son along with his wife. Mr. Quintana admits that he'd guessed the truth because of the way Dante looks at Ari, while Mrs. <laughs> while Mrs. Quintana tells Ari she thinks Dante is in love with him. Ah! And so many emotions! So many emotions. Ari admits that's true, but believes that Dante has moved on to Daniel. Mrs. Quintana shares her belief that Daniel is just a stand-in for Ari. Uh... When Dante comes home from the hospital, Daniel starts visiting him in his house. This angers Ari because Daniel ran away while Dante was being beaten up. 
Dante admits to Ari that when he was kissing Daniel, he's imagining that Daniel is Ari. Ah! Ari just tells Dante that he needs to get a new head. Dante is left upset by Ari's reaction, but won't... Dante is left upset by Ari's reaction to Dante all but admitting his love for him. Ari's mother... Oh, no. This is the part that gets (laughs) both of us really bad. This book is so good. Ari's mother eventually calls a family meeting where she gets Ari's father to finally tell him about an incident in the Vietnam War that has haunted him. Ari's father tells him it's time they both stopped running, saying that Dante loves Ari. Ari is aware of this, but thinks Dante has gotten over it. Ari's father explains that what Ari's running from, what will kill him if he keeps running, is that Ari loves Dante too. When Ari denies it, his father tells him that his instincts in saving Dante's life while risking his own and taking revenge on Julian point to Ari loving Dante more than he can bear. After his father's explanation, Ari finally accepts this and breaks down, ashamed of loving another boy. However, his parents support him, and his mother uses his antophilia as an example. Ari's father reminds him of how when things get tough, when Julian and his friends attacked him, Dante didn't run. In that moment, Ari and his father finally reach an understanding of each other. I'm already starting to tear up. We still got so much more to go. I know. That night, Ari, Dante, and their parents go bowling together. Having accepted that he loves Dante, Ari is now a lot happier, especially when Dante reveals he's realized Ari was right about Daniel. After bowling, Dante and Ari go out to the desert, where Dante tells Ari he can't be friends with him anymore because it's too hard to be friends with Ari when Dante's in love with him. Rather than running from his feelings, Ari reminds Dante of their kiss and how he said it didn't work for him before finally admitting he lied about it. Ari asks Dante to kiss him again, but Dante refuses, challenging Ari to kiss him instead. Without hesitation, Ari kisses Dante, fully accepting his love for him. Following the kiss, Dante and Ari relax in the back of Ari's truck. Ari reflects that he'd been searching for the secrets of the universe and his own body and heart when the answers were with him the whole time in the form of his love for Dante. Ari now... Oh, Jane! Oh, no! No! Oh, emotions! Ari now knows that he'd been in love with Dante from the moment they met, but didn't let himself know, think, or feel it. Now free of his fears, Ari is left wondering why he was ever ashamed of loving Dante. Ah! <sighs> so, even though we totally spoiled the whole book for you, if you haven't read it, you still, like, uh, oh my god, please read it, because it will change your life, please, and you'll just cry a lot, please, but in a, the best way. Please. <laughs> please. Please. Alright, uh, so... Tell, tell me about the author. So, yeah, Benjamin Allier Sands was born... <gasps> look at his face! He's such he's a rad such dude! such a happy... If you look on his Wikipedia page, the picture of him, he looks so, like, enthused with life. Like, he's got a little mustache, and he looks so happy to be here. He does look so oh. happy. His Twitter is also my favorite thing in the whole universe. He tweets stuff about Ari and Dante, and he also tweets a lot at President Trump about how much he hates him. So, like, we stand a legend. <laughs> oh my god, keep reading. Okay, so he was born in New Mexico, and he was the fourth of seven children, Ooh. and was raised on a small farm. And he graduated high school in 1972, and went to St. Thomas Seminary in Colorado, where he received a BA in Humanities and Philosophy in 1977. He then studied theology at the University of Louvain in Belgium from 1977 to 1981. He was a priest for a few years in El Paso, Texas, before leaving the order. And then in 1985, he returned to school, studying English and creative writing at the University of Texas at El Paso, where he earned an MA degree in creative writing. He then spent a year at the University of Iowa as a PhD student in American literature. And a year later, he received the Stegner Fellowship. And while at Stanford University, under the guidance of Denise Levertov, he completed his first book of poems, Calendar of Dust, which won the American Book Award in 1992. He then entered the PhD program at Stanford and continued his studies for two more years. Before completing his PhD, he moved back to the border and began teaching at the University of Texas at El Paso in the bilingual MFA program. So his first novel was Carry Me Like Water, and it was a saga that brought together the Victorian novel and the Latin American tradition of magic realism and received much critical acclaim. He came out as gay in the late 2000s at age 54, 
Oh, wow. And has acknowledged in interviews that he had difficulty coming to terms with his sexuality due to having been sexually abused as a child. Oh, wow. And then he began to explore LGBT themes in his writing as a way to help himself work through his own issues with being gay. And in The Book of What Remains, his fifth book of poems, he writes the core truth of life's ever-shifting memories. Set along the Mexican border, the contrast between the desert's austere beauty and the brutality of border politics mirrors humanity's capacity for both generosity and cruelty. And when he wrote Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe in 2012, it won so many awards. Like so many, so it was like he literally like oh my god Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe won the Stonewall Book Award the Mike Morgan and Larry Roman's Children's and Young Adult Literature Award a 2013 Honor Book the Michael L Prince Award and the 2013 um, Pura Belpre Award which is an award for Latino literature. So That's like, a lot of awards, and it still um, is one of if you go on Goodreads, it's like in. In the top five for, like, LGBTYA. Really? And it's been out for, like, six years now. Holy crap. Yeah. And it has just, oh my god, on Goodreads, it has a 4.4 out of 5. Barnes & Noble, it has a 4.9 out of 5. Like, Common Sense Media has a 5 out of 5. Like, this book is, like, one of those ones that people just adore. I mean, I understand yeah. why. It is it's a fantastic so, read. So good. So, Yeah. Benjamin Aliasens is great, and you should follow his Twitter, and you should read this book, please. It, I, yeah, I will forever recommend yeah, this book. It's so incredible. All right, well, um, we're switching over to me now. So, getting a laptop, clicking things, clicking right. things, we good. So, I decided to focus on the theme of Oh, goodness. I always mess it up. I've been trying to pronounce this all afternoon. Machismo? 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 Machismo or machismo? I don't think either of those are right. We might be totally wrong. I, from what I could find, it was machismo or machismo. Machismo? Machismo. It wasn't machismo. Okay. Machismo. We're going to go with machismo. Sorry we spent five years figuring that out. (laughs) We talked about it earlier, too. We're just dumb. Yeah. Alright, so, um, I focus on the theme of machismo. Machismo is the sense of being manly and self-reliant, and this concept is associated with a strong sense of masculine pride and exaggerated masculinity. Uh, with this, there's also the idea that the man in the family has the responsibility to provide, protect, and defend his family. Um, I I should explain that this is... I'll get more into it, but um, this is a really popular theme with, like, Mm Mexican-American people and Mexican people, and, yeah. Machismo is a very big part of Mexican culture. Yeah. So, the word macho has a long history in both Spain and Portugal, as well as in their languages. Originally, it was associated with the ideal societal role men were expected to play in their communities, Macho is a strictly masculine term. Um, Machos are expected to possess and display bravery, courage, and strength, as well as wisdom and leadership. Um, During the women's liberation movement of the 1960s and 1970s, the term began to be used by Latin American feminists to describe male aggression and violence. Um, That's when it kind of, like, took a turn. It criticized the patriarchal structure of gender relations in Latino communities, Portuguese and Spanish machismo, I gotta keep it consistent, <laughs> refers to the assumption that masculinity is superior superior to femininity in males. Um, but this isn't all negative. Studies show Latin American men understand masculinity to involve considerable childcare responsibilities, politeness, respect for women's autonomy, and nonviolent attitudes and behaviors. So they're already doing better than toxic masculinity. <laughs> For white Eurocentric people, um, Latin American scholars propose there are really two different constructs with uh, machismo. Is that what I'm going with? Okay, uh, one you do po- you. <laughs> one positive con- construct and one negative construct. The negative construct of machismo is based on the traditional West- Western concept of hypermasculinity, and it's predominant within mainstream discourse in the sense of like. Machismo is hypermasculinity, according to Western mainstream mm-hmm. media. 
Um, a lot of times people separate hypermasculinity and the negative side of machismo, but they are the same thing. Um, the other side of machismo, the positive one, refers to a connection to family and chivalry. We see a large portion of this in how the men in the novel are connected to their families and how families come first to them. Like, they're so, so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, machismo is seen as such a negative thing because of mainstream American media. Uh, it ignores the positive aspects of it and instead focuses on the concept of machismo as a degenerated, non-white form of abuse against women and backwardsness. So, basically, if anyone has heard this term being like, oh, this is a super negative thing, Yes, it was used in women's feminist movements in the 1960s and 1970s, but it still holds a lot of very positive connotations within Mexican communities. Um, So it's not all bad. I do have to say, though, I am no expert on this. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm just going with what I could find online. Mm -hmm. With um, Machismo, a set... A set of gender roles is placed on men because of the fear of femininity. Professionals in several universities in the United States developed a model around this hypothesis with uh, sex behavioral patterns. Um, So there's six of these. So the first one is restrictive emotionality. Uh, It means restricting oneself from expressing feelings or not allowing others to express their feelings. The second is homophobia the fear of homosexuals, or the fear of being a homosexual, not limited to all the stereotypes associated with that. The third one is socialized control, power, and competition. The desire for authority of being in charge of the situation, commanding others, and to excel above others. The fourth is restrictive sexual and affectional behavior, um, which means like showing little to no affection or sexuality to others. The fifth is obsession with achievement and success. Um, This is seen through, like, having an ongoing complex that accomplishment work in illustratiousness, sure, constitutes one's values. That word right there. Illustratiousness. Illustriousness. Illustriousness constitutes one's values. (laughs) Thank you. Um, the sixth is healthcare problems, which this is also seen in toxic masculinity. All these are seen in toxic mm-hmm. masculinity, just as a heads up. Um, so healthcare problem relates to not sustaining a healthy diet, adequate stress levels, and a healthy lifestyle. So evidence suggests that the gender roles conflicts, um, inflicted by machismo can lead males who were raised with this mentality or live in a society in which machismo is pre- valent to suffer high levels of anxiety and low self-esteem. Additionally, studies found that many males facing such conflicts are subject to express anger, depression, and substance abuse, all of which occur with Dante. Mm -hmm. I mean, not as extreme as substance abuse, but he does mention at one point in the novel... He starts drinking and he starts smoking pot. And there's a section of the novel where um, the like, big drug dealy or yes. druggy at the school mm-hmm. visits his house and is like, hey, you want to try heroin? And Dante says no, but right after he leaves, is like, I would like to try mood-altering stuff, but and I would eventually like to try heroin, yeah. but I'm not ready for it now as 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So, there are things to that. All right. Machismo is one of the main themes that is pre- prevalent in how Ari's father is, partic- like, in particular acts throughout the novel also. Um, after the war, he is a stone man. That's how I referred to him in my notes. That's how I will continue mm-hmm. to refer to him. He doesn't share his emotions with his son, maintaining a masculine image. Throughout the novel, there are a few moments where Ari's dad breaks the barrier that he has built and cries to Ari. The most notable when is when Ari is sick with the flu and after the accident. So I'm just going to take a quick second to pull open the example I have of the flu. Um... This is also, like, one of my favorite passages in the book. So, let me find it. Okay, here we go. Elevator music. Elevator music. All right. Um, He started to leave my room. He hesitated for a moment. I should also say this is all, like, all the passages are from Ari's point of view. Yep. Yep, okay. (laughs) He started to leave my room. He hesitated for a moment. He had his back to me. Have you had any more bad dreams? I always have bad dreams, I said. Even when you're not sick? Yeah. He stood in my doorway. He turned around and faced me. Are you always lost? 
In most of them, yeah. And are you always trying to find me? Mostly I think I'm trying to find me, Dad. It was strange to talk to him about something real. It scared me, too. I wanted to keep talking, but I didn't know exactly how to say what I was holding inside me. I looked down at the floor, then I looked up at him and shrugged like no big deal. I'm sorry, he said. I'm sorry I'm so far away. It's okay, I said. No, he said. No, it's not. I think he was going to say something else, but he changed his mind. He turned and walked out of the room. I kept staring down at the floor, and then I heard my father's voice in the room again. I have bad dreams too, Ari. I wanted to ask him if his dreams were about the war or about my brother. I wanted to ask him if he ever woke up as scared as me. All I did was smile at him. He told me something about himself. I was happy. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Ari, like, longs for the care of his father. There's another mention, um, a little bit before this where Ari's really struggling with the bad dreams and his father comes into the room and holds him. And it, he, he remarks uh, something along the lines of, like, I could be held by him forever. Mm-hmm. There's also around that scene, he has the, like, are you looking, and he's like, I'm always looking for you. Yeah, like, his dad was like, uh, are you looking for me in your dreams? Yeah. And he's like, I'm always looking for you. It's, yeah. Um, but he acknowledges that it's not in his father's nature to be affectionate. Throughout the novel, Ari makes comparisons between his own father and Dante's father, Sam. Uh, Sam asks Ari to refer to him by his first name and greets him with a kiss on the cheek almost instantly, like the first yeah. meeting. Um, Ari puzzles internally what would happen if he kissed his father on the cheek, suggesting that physical affection among his family was not widely expressed. Uh, the two fathers in the novel showcase that machismo is not, isn't as prevalent as it, prevalent as it is believed to be. Sam is more affectionate and easily allows Dante to be a moody kid without much reprimand and takes his opinion into consideration. Uh, Ari's father is the complete opposite. In one particular discussion with his mom, Ari asked about his father, like how he was before the war. Uh, this is another, uh, basically I chose all the parts in the novel that like get me. Um, <laughs> That's the whole novel, Jane. <laughs> yeah, I cry so much. All right. I wanted to ask her about my father, but I didn't know how. Was he different when he came back from the war? Yes. How is he different? There's a wound somewhere inside of him, Ari. But what is it? The hurt. What is it? I don't know. How can you not know, Mom? Because it's his. It's just his, Ari. I understood that he, she had just accepted my father's private wound. Will it ever heal? I don't think so. Mom, can I ask you something? You can ask me anything. Is it hard to love him? No. She didn't even hesitate. Do you understand him? Not always. But Ari, I don't always have to understand the people I love. Well, maybe I do. It's hard for you, isn't it? I, I don't know him, Mom. I know you're going to get mad at me when I say this, Ari, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think someday you will understand. Yeah, I said, someday. Someday I would understand my father. Someday he would talk, he would tell me who he was. Someday. I hated that word. Ugh, okay. <laughs> every, every, like, section I read I is just going to be, like, a little bit of a heart wrench for us. Um, he acknowledges that there is a wound within his father that needs healing, but it's just accepted, unable to be changed, even though Ari wishes it would. His, um, father isn't the only one who's affected by machismo. After Dante is attacked in the alley and ends up in the hospital, Ari makes it his mission to get revenge. He attacks one of the boys who hurt Dante and ends up breaking his nose. Ari's protecting his family. Mm -hmm. um, Ari struggles with his sexuality so much because that isn't what Mexican-American boys or boys in general are supposed to do. His Mexican identity weighs like wears heavily on him, and it isn't until his Aunt Ophelia's death when uh, Ari learns that his aunt had been living with her partner Franny that he starts to come to terms with that. Even though Ophelia's family does, didn't show up to her funeral, Ari's parents were there and accepting of Ophelia's lifestyle and making sure to share that with Ari through the forms of her letter correspondence with his um, mother, which is a very large part of... Mm -hmm. Letters are big in this novel. They're big. Um, still, Ari didn't fully accept the fact that he was gay until a family meeting with his parents. Oh, you gotta read the goddamn family meeting. Oh, yeah, I am. Oh, I'm gonna start crying. That's okay, you can cry. <laughs> I just have to read through it aloud, which I think makes it worse, <laughs> because it's so emotional. 
good. Okay, three is 44. Sorry, flipping the pages, flipping the pages. ASMR page turning to make up for the fact that we didn't have the ASMR tea pouring. <laughs> All right. What's wrong, Ari? You said that, like, you have another theory about me. You bet your ass I do, she said. But her voice was so nice and, and kind and sweet. She got up from the kitchen table and poured herself a glass of wine. She took out two beers and put one of them in front of me. She put the other on, at the center of the table. Your father's reading. I think I'll go get him. What's going on, Mom? Family meeting. Family meeting? What's that? It's a new thing, she said. From here on in, we're going to have a lot more of them. You're scaring me, Mom. Good. She walked out of the kitchen. I stared at the beer in front of me. I touched the cool glass. I didn't know if I was supposed to drink from it or just stare at it. Maybe it was all a trick. My mom and dad walked into the kitchen. They both sat down across from me. My father opened his beer. Then he opened mine. He took a sip. Are you ganging up on me? Relax, my father said. He took another drink from his beer. My mother sipped her wine. Don't you want to have a beer with your mom and dad? Not really, I said. It's against the rules. New rules, my mom said. A beer with your old man isn't going to kill you. It's not as if you haven't had one before. What's the big deal? This is really weird, I said. I took a drink from the beer. Happy now? My father had a really serious look on his face. Did I ever tell you about any of my oh, skirmishes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, skirmishes. Well, I was in Vietnam. Oh yeah, I said. I was just thinking about all those war stories you tell me about. My father reached over and took my hand in his. I deserved that one. He kept squeezing my hand. Then he let go. We were in the north. North of... Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> da Nang? Da Nang? Sure. Is that where you were? Da Nang? That was my home away from home. He smiled at me crookedly. We were on a... Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at reading. Reconnaissance? Reconnaissance mission. Things were pretty quiet for a few days. It was monsoon season. Season. God, I hated those endless rains. We were just ahead of a convoy. The area had been clear. We were there to make sure the coast was clear. Then all hell broke loose. There were bullets all over the place. Grenades going off. We were pretty much ambushed. It wasn't the first time, but this time was different. There was shooting from all sides. The best to do was just fall back. Beckett called for a chopper to get us out. There was this guy. A really good guy. God, he was so young. 19 years old. God, he was just a boy. I'm already starting to tear up. Oh, God. <laughs> and my father shook my shook his head. His name was Louie. Cajun guy from Lafayette. There were tears running down my father's face. He sipped on his beer. We weren't supposed to leave a man down. That was the rule. You don't leave a man down. You don't leave a man to die. I'm seriously already starting to cry. This is going to be great. Okay. I could see the look on my mother's face. Her absolute refusal to cry. I remember running toward the chopper. Louis was right behind me. Bullets flying everywhere. I thought I was a dead man. And then Louis went down. He yelled my name. I wanted to go back. I don't remember exactly, but the last thing I remember was Beckett pulling me onto the chopper. I didn't even know I had been shot. We left him there. Louis, we left him. I watched my father lean oh, lean into his own arms <laughs> and sob. Nope. There was something about the sound of a man in pain that resembled the sound of a wounded animal. My heart was breaking. At this time, I wa I'd wanted my father to tell me something about the war, and now I couldn't stand to see the rawness of his pain. How new it was after so many years. How that pain was alive and thriving just beneath the surface. Okay, we're good. Keep going. I don't know if I believed in war or not, Ari. I don't think I did. I think about that a lot, but I signed up. I don't know what I felt about this country. I do know that the only country I had were the men that fought side by side. They were my country, Ari, them. Ooh. Louis and Beckett and Garcia and Al and Gio, they were my country. I'm not proud of everything I did in that war. I wasn't always a good sol soldier. I wasn't always a good man. War did something to us. To me... To all of us, but the men we left behind, those are the ones who are in my dream. I drank my beer. My father drank from his. My mother drank from her glass of wine. We were all silent for what seemed a long time. I hear him sometimes, my father said. Louis, I hear him calling my name. I didn't go back. You would have been killed too, I whispered. Maybe, but I didn't do my job. Dad, don't, please. I felt my, mama, my mother reaching across the table, combing my hair with her hands and wiping my tears. You don't have to talk about this, Dad. You don't. Maybe I do. Maybe it's time to stop the dreams. Breath? Okay. He <laughs> leaned on my mother. Don't you think it's time, Lily? My mother didn't say a word. My father smiled at me. A few minutes ago, your mother walked into the living room and took the book I was reading out of my hands. Okay. She said, talk to him. Talk to him, Jamie. 
She put that fascist voice of hers she has. My mother laughed softly. And Ari, it's time for you to stop running. <sighs> oh my God. I looked at my dad from what? Don't you know? What? If you keep running, it will kill you. What, dad? You and Dante. Me and Dante. I looked at my mother, then looked at my father. Dante's in love with you. He said, that's obvious enough. He doesn't hide that from himself. I can't help what he feels, dad. No. No, you can't. And besides, Dad, I think he's gone way over that. He's into that guy, Daniel. Oh, my God, my leg fell asleep. Ah! We'll deal with that in a second. Uh, my father nodded. Ari, the problem is just that Dante's in love with you. The real problem, for you anyway, is that you're in love with him. I didn't say anything. I just kept looking at my mother's face and then my father's face. I don't know. I didn't know what to say. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think that's true. I mean, I just don't think so. I mean... Ari, I know what I see. You saved a life. Why do you suppose you did that? Why do you suppose that in an instant, even without, without even thinking, you dove across the street and shoved Dante out of the way of a moving car? You think that just happened? I think you couldn't stand the thought of losing him. You just couldn't. Why would you risk your own life to save Dante if you didn't love him? Because he's my friend. And why would you go and beat the holy crap out of a guy who hurt him? Why would you do that? All your instincts, Ari, all of them, all of them, Tell me something. You love that boy. I kept staring down at the table. I'm just going to keep going because it hurts to stop. you got to stop one day. Ah! You can't just read the whole end of the book. <laughs> Watch me. All right. I, I kept staring down at the table. I think you love him more than you can bear. Dad. Dad, no. No, I can't. I can't. Why are you saying these things? Because I can't stand watching all that loneliness that lives inside of you. Because I love you, Ari. My mother and father watched me cry. I thought maybe I was going to cry forever, but I didn't. When I stopped, I took a big drink for my beer. Dad, I think I liked it better when you didn't talk. My mother laughed, and I loved her laugh. And then my father was laughing, and then I was laughing. What am I going to do? I'm so ashamed. Ashamed of what, my mother said. Of loving Dante? He's, I'm a guy, he's a guy. It's not the way things are supposed to be, Mom. I know, she said. Ophelia taught me some things, you know. All those letters, I learned some things. And your father's right. You can't run. Not from Dante. I hate myself. Don't more. Uh, Teodoro? I don't speak Spanish. I've already lost a son. I'm not going to lose another one. You're not alone, Ari. I know it feels that way, but you're not. How can you love me so much? How can I not love you? You're the most beautiful boy in the world. I'm not. You are. You are. What am I going to do? My father's voice was soft. Dante didn't run. I kept picture, picturing him taking all those blows, but he didn't run. Okay, I said. For once in my life, I understood my father perfectly, and he understood me. <sighs> ah! Hi, welcome to We're Having an Emotional Breakdown. Jane is like, there are real tears. Oh, like, yeah. She is crying right now. This isn't, uh, a, this isn't a joke. <laughs> all right. Okay. So this was also the moment when Arya fully like, understands his father and how the war changed him. Uh, we've been able to see, like, little aspects of how, how Ari's dad was before the war when uh, we, with Ari, learned that his father was an art study in undergrad before he goes, like, when he's going through the art book that Dante brings over as a present the first time he visits. And we sort of see that, like, youthful-esque innocence of his dad that we don't really get to mm -hmm. see anywhere else. So, yeah, that's, like... My oh. whole little thing on Machismo, and, I, and I'm so sorry that I'm so teary. It's just that part gets me so much because mm -hmm. all the f family love and acceptance. Wow. 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 All right. So we're actually going to switch it up this week. We're not going to be talking about shitty characters because there are none in this book that are significant I was enough gonna to say, talk about. Yeah, there are shitty people, but we don't know nearly enough about them. We can be like, yeah, the guy who beat up. Dante, but we know, like, two things about him, so that wouldn't be a fun segment. Yeah. So, instead, we're gonna talk a little bit about our favorite character in the book. And our favorite quotes. And our favorite quotes, so you get to hear more reading. <laughs> Alright, do you want to go first with your um, favorite character? Sure. So, whoop, laptop pass. There we go. Sorry, that noise of it hitting the floor probably made it on the recording. It's okay, it happens. Yeah, I'm just gonna go cool. cry in a corner real quick. Sorry, I'm trying my best. Are you doing okay? I'm doing okay. Doing great? Alright. So, my favorite character is, um, where'd she go? I had her thing pulled up all about her, and now it's gone. Huh. Guess I'll die. You either die or you die. 
What you gonna do? <laughs> what you gonna do? Okay, all right. So, did you find it? Yes, I did. Ah, uh, so, I, yep. My favorite person is Dante's mom. She's so good. She's so good. She's the first person other than, like, Dante to mm. realize that her son is in love with Ari. And she's so, like, supportive and yeah. good about that. And she, like, reaches out to the Mendozas and is, like, becomes friends with Ari's mom, too, yeah. so that they can, like, oof. She's just a really supportive mom, and I love her so much. Also, like, do you remember the passage where Ari first brings his truck over to the house, and she, like, lights up, like, oh, she a little so teen? she's so excited. I love and her. And then, um, Sam, like, uh, Dante's dad mm-hmm. takes her for a spin in the truck. Like, they like they were reliving their youth. It was really cute. It's so, oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So... Yeah. You good? <laughs> I'm just watching you struggle. I can't type. Never mind. Nothing pops up. Okay. Uh, so, so that's, that's that's pretty much. I just oh, she's such a such a. Good, she's so supportive. She's and like such a beautiful. She's soul. like the mom in Love Simon. Yeah, and yeah, we yeah. all know how much I love the mom in Love Simon. That'd be a good book for the future. Ooh, girl. <laughs> so my favorite character is actually Gina. I'm not surprised. Okay, bear with me. She's a nosy hoe, exactly like me. Like, she wants to know everything. Everything. Everybody's everything. Which, like, I get. (laughs) Girl, you feel. I feel. But at the same time, she, like, respects people's boundaries, Mm -hmm. kind of. She's also a great friend to Ari when Dante Dante leaves for Chicago. Like, even though they're not really close, they've known each other since, like, Mm -hmm. pre-K, basically. And she forces him into a friendship um, she gets him to open up about things and starts dragging him to parties and having fun and just being, like, really supportive of him. And, like, she's one of the first people to be like, Dante's hot. Like, those <laughs> cathedral boys, like, they're hot. And Ari's like, well, I don't I don't think about that. And, and she's, she's like, like mm. sure, sure you do. Sh- sure you do. I know you think about him macking up on you. Like in that exact language. In that exact language, I'm 100 percent sure that they speak like that. In, oh, in the like, 80s in, in Texas. The 80s in Texas. But yeah, no, I kind of love Gina. Like, mm-hmm. even though she's a very minor character, she's just wild. She's a trip. She's a trip. So, I want to hear your favorite passage oh, first because I think I know what it is. You do know what it is. I think I didn't tell you, but I feel like you know. So, this is after um, Dante has told Ari that he's going to be moving to Chicago. So, mm-hmm. this is, like, right before he leaves. So, I'll just start from here. So, Dante came over that evening. We sat on the steps of the front porch. He stretched out his arm, the one that had been broken in the accident. I stretched out my arm, the one that had been broken in the accident. All better, he said. We both smiled. When something gets broken, it can be fixed. He stretched out his arm again. Good as new. Maybe not good as new, I said, but good anyway. His face had healed. In the evening light, he was perfect again. I went swimming today, he said. How was it? I love swimming. I know, I said. I love swimming, he said again. He was quiet for a little while, and then he said, I love swimming. And you. (laughs) Can you apologize to our listeners for the noise you just made? I'm going to read that line again because you wrote I love swimming. And you. I didn't say anything. Swimming and you, Ari, those are the things I love the most. You shouldn't say that, I said. It's true. I didn't say it wasn't true. I just said you shouldn't say it. Why not? Dante, I don't... You don't have to say anything. I know that we're different. We're not the same. No, we're not the same. I knew what he was saying, and I wish to God he was someone else. Someone who didn't have to say things out loud. I just kept nodding. Do you hate me? I don't know what happened just then. Since the accident, I'd been mad at everyone. Hated everyone. Hated Dante. Hated mom and dad. Hated myself. Everyone. But right then, I knew I didn't really hate everyone. Not really. I didn't hate Dante at all. I didn't know how to be his friend. I didn't know how to be anybody's friend. But that didn't mean I hated him. No, I said. I don't hate you, Dante. We just sat there, not saying anything. Will we be friends when I come back from Chicago? Yes, I said. Really? Yes. Do you promise? I looked into his perfect face. I promise. He smiled. He wasn't crying. 
Oh my god. Uh, he literally it, also refers to Dante as being perfect twice. Like, yeah. having a perfect face. Yeah. So, like, Ari. Yeah. This is page 150. Like, the novel goes into, like, 358, and that's, like, when he's like, wait, I love you. Like, buddy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bud. So, my favorite passage is probably one of the most beautiful passages in this book. Ooh, is it the one? Which Guilty. one is it? Oh, I can't stand suspense, though. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> You're gonna have to try. <laughs> if you can find it. <laughs> I got it. We're passing around one copy of the book from the library. Yeah. Because I don't know, know where my copy went. <laughs> Dante and I got out of the truck. We didn't say a word. He Girl, lit- <laughs> I know what this is. I love this bit. <laughs> he lit the joint, inhaled, then held the smoke in his lungs. Then finally he let it out. Then he did it again and handed the joint to me. I did exactly as he did. I have to say I like the smell, but the pot was harsh in my mouth, in my lungs. I fought not to cough. If Dante didn't cough, then I wasn't going to cough. We sat there, passing the joint until it was gone. I felt light and breezy and happy. It was strange and wonderful and everything seemed far away and yet kind of close. Dante and I kept looking at each other as we sat on the tailgate of my truck. We started laughing and couldn't stop. Then the breeze became a wind, and the thunder and lightning was close and closer, and it started to rain. We ran inside the truck. We couldn't stop laughing and didn't want to stop laughing. It's crazy, I said. It feels so crazy. Crazy, he said. Crazy, crazy, crazy. God, crazy. I wanted us to laugh forever. We listened to the downpour. God, it was really raining, like that night. Let's go out there, Dante said. Let's go out in the rain. I watched him as he took off his all of his clothes. His shirt, his shorts, his boxers, everything except his tennis shoes. Which was really funny. <laughs> well, he said, he had his hand on the handle of the door. Ready? Wait, I said. I stripped off my t-shirt and all of my clothes except my tennis shoes. We looked at each other and laughed. Ready, I said. Ready, he said. We ran out into the rain. God, the drops of rain were so cold. Shit, I yelled. Shit, Dante yelled. We're fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah, Dante laughed. We ran around the truck naked and laughing, the rain beating against our bodies. Around and around the truck we ran until we were both tired and breathless. We sat inside the truck laughing and trying to catch our breath. And then the rain stopped. That was the way it was in the desert. The rain poured down, then stopped. Just like that. I opened the door to the truck and stepped out into the damp and windy night air. I stretched my arms out toward the sky and closed my eyes. Dante was standing next to me. I could feel his breath. I didn't know what I would have done if he had touched me, but he didn't. I'm starving, he said. Me too. We got dressed and drove back into town. I love that scene. Uh, it's just like, it's so pure. It's such a good scene. God damn it. I just... I just love this book, guys. You couldn't tell already. This book is like... Sorry if you didn't learn anything, but we're just... We just wanted to talk about this book because it's really pure and wholesome and we really recommend that you read we it. We recommend like, really, it really, like really a recommend. billion times. Benjamin Alia Sense is not like sponsoring this or anything. We just no, love, we this, love book. this book. Uh, I'm gonna go cry. Like, okay. for an hour, I think. Like, <laughs> I might try to reread it because I did not reread it in preparation for this then yeah you should i might steal your coffee and read it tonight (laughs) sounds good all right anything else you want to put into this uh, this mess of a podcast that we've done um if this is something that sounds good to you there is a a screenplay has been written (gasps) nothing has been confirmed like we don't know if we're getting a movie but they've (laughs) written a screenplay and they did like a read through and holy shit i would die if this became a movie yeah, yeah. Yes, so that's a fun update yeah. about the future of this. Also, uh, Benjamin Aliasens is writing a sequel. Ah, yes! I love it. I'm so excited. And if you follow his Twitter, you get updates about all this. So follow his Twitter also. Or and follow our Twitter. Follow our Twitter at capital S <laughs> spilling T capital P. T yep. is in the word. Not as in T is in the word because I was wrong, and then capital P, (laughs) like the beginning of podcast, but not the odd cast, not the odd cast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, on that note, I'm gonna call it quits because (laughs) we're not getting anywhere any faster. So, thanks so much for listening to Spilling Tea. The tea is spilt and the covers are closed. See you next week. Bye. Bye.